Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of the Daily Friend Wrap. I'm your host Nicholas Lorimer, today joined by Mr. Michael Morris. Let's get into the first story of today and this is about the pass rate. But no, not the national pass rate for metrics. This is about the pass rate for people writing in South Africa's prisons. Prisoners who are writing the trick. Now they managed to achieve a 93.2% pass rate, which is quite a lot better than the national pass rate, which was just above 80%. However, when you read the details of the story, you see that only 147 full-time candidates wrote matric from within South Africa's prisons. Uh, 90 achieved a bachelor's pass rate, which is pretty good. That's a, the highest level of pass you can get. Um, but this is still a very low number considering the many thousands of people within South Africa's prisons, particularly the uh, the number of thou- the many thousands who have, shall we say, a, a bit of a shaky educational background. Um, one of the best performing matric students was a guy called Christopher Matthew Ben, who's from the Western Cape, who managed to achieve a number of distinctions, six distinctions, and in fact, uh, in- those included one in geography and one in tourism, where he got 92%. A female prisoner interviewed about uh, the reasons why she decided to write matric. She said, writing my matric in 2023, I was writing it for the third time. It was difficult to complete it outside, but coming to prison gave me the opportunity to give it my all because I didn't have any responsibility besides this. Being sentenced to 20 years in prison means I knew the journey had to be fulfilled. Um, Michael, there's uh, you know varying opinions on this stuff. Um, some people are very upset when they hear that prisoners are getting educated because they think that prison should be purely for punishment. However, there is some data to suggest that uh, when prisoners further their education in prisons, that they are far less likely to repeat, uh, 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 offend again and, and break the law again. What do you make of the story? Um, a very small number of people, though, considering what one would imagine is the potential for the prison system to educate people. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, you know, possibly in the, the ideal conditions under, under which to under which to study. If you do have that uh, that impulse to do it, uh, you know, you've got all that time in your hands and a you know, very kind of stable environment, well, potentially stable environment to uh, to do it. Um, but as you say, a very small a very small number, one hundred and forty seven full time students, um, when surely the, the potential would be much much greater. Um, I, I half kind of wonder if there are any NGOs who are, you know, focusing on on this this kind of activity because, as you say, that quite rightly, society has a uh, has a desire for uh, people who commit crimes, especially in a, a country like ours, with such a high crime rate, to uh, to to you know feel the wrath of society, to be punished, uh, to be sent away, to be you know, and, and and have that kind of punitive experience. But on the other hand. Society is very well served by um, any effort to rehabilitate people um, who who have committed crimes and who will, if, at at some point, inevitably be released back into society. So we we all have an interest in this thing working. Um, but as you say, you know, the, the higher higher the, the pass rate. I see the headline says ninety two point three percent, but the, the actual story says ninety three point two. Uh, so funny little discrepancy there, but um, yeah, high 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 pass rate, higher than most schools, but um, but a small number, um, which is which is disappointing. So a story that shows the potential, um, but also kind of demonstrates how f- far short of the the greater potential we we are performing at. 
Um, if you include the uh, the part-time prisoners, the, the the prisoners who wrote the thing part-time rather than full-time, there were only 187 who did that. Um, so it's not like the, the all, they're all hiding in that system either. Um, it's just a low number overall, you know, just over 300 no. in total for this yeah. year. Um, but, of course, the other challenge these prisoners will have to face when they one day leave prison is if South Africa's job market has not significantly improved, Having a matric or maybe even having a university degree is not really going to help them much to get uh, back on track and start living an honest life. Um, as we know, unemployment is the great scourge of yep. South Africa uh, that affects millions of people, even those with um, relatively decent high school educations. It can be a serious problem. So uh, this is just a reminder why fixing the job market is really important for fixing mm. South Africa's many other social problems, such as crime. Uh, that you know, once we get, once exactly. we get more opportunities available for people, that fewer people will be drawn into this life uh, where they where they break the law. Okay, let's move on to our next story, and this is about the <coughs> town of the municipality of Louis Trichardt. Uh, Louis Trichardt was brought to a standstill for only an hour as hundreds marched to demand better services, which, as far as service delivery protests in South Africa go, is pretty tame particularly in rural municipalities. Uh, There have also been pickets earlier this week by community development forums from around this area. The protesters wanted the Limpopo MEC for Public Works to receive a memorandum, but she didn't show up after an hour of waiting. Uh, Members of the local taxi association who were interviewed uh, were very annoyed by this. The residents are also demanding to see the National Minister for Water and Sanitation saying that some of the taps in their areas have been dry for literally years. Uh, There's also concerns about 2 million rand that was allegedly supplied to that municipality for drilling boreholes, which has apparently disappeared. Um, And they are also upset about a driver's license testing center, which was closed three years ago, and now they have to travel 30 kilometers in order to deal with driver's license stuff. They also have complaints about the municipality charging too much for electricity, but that sounds like a little bit of a separate issue to some of these other service delivery failures. Um, Michael, you thought this story was kind of interesting, and I I think it is too, in that, to me, it does suggest that there's a certain degree of actually acceptance of incredibly poor levels of service delivery here. You know, if you don't have water for literally years, then you should be a lot more angry than just a one-hour service delivery protest. What do you make of this? Exactly. I mean, the the photograph that that accompanies the piece, and, and unfortunately, listeners won't uh, won't uh, won't have the opportunity to see it. But we can describe it more or less as a you know a very uh, orderly uh, kind of march down the street with some police in the foreground, some marshals, um, and it, you know it's all very placid, really. When you think, as you say, the uh, people uh, who have been uh, without water for years and and with, with such great difficulties. Um, on, on various sort of fronts. And then on top of that, um, being promised that, uh, that the MEC is going to, will, would, would be there to receive the memorandum and then doesn't turn up. Um, so it, there is a curiously sort of, uh, a curiously sort of placid atmosphere to the, to the entire thing. But it does show um, 
just you know exactly where the work to be done has to be done uh, quite ordinary things i think just give, make, making sure the officials do their jobs properly making sure very ordinary things work um, this shouldn't be very difficult um, i suppose the thing that, that immediately occurs to me is you know let's hope that other political parties are looking at this and thinking to themselves well we can get stuck in here we can go there we can see what the problems are we can draw up a, a very specific sort of manifesto for this for this particular community and, and say you know if, if you vote for us this is what we will do and uh, and set, you can set a time frame for it all it shouldn't that shouldn't be too difficult to do um, and i think this is more and more the kind of politics that we need to see um i i don't know this area well enough to know what the what the um kind of political voting profile um the party party profile has been uh, since 94 but th i think that could be quite interesting and whether that is changing because that ultimately <clears throat> is where uh, the difference is going to come it's going to be competition at the ballot box so uh, yeah interesting story all around exactly i think um so this is this is around um, the louis trichard area which Back in um, uh, 2021, uh, the ANC in that municipality got about 80% of the vote. So it's very much a stronghold yeah. for them. Yeah. And I, I must say, it is, it's pretty nice to see a service delivery protest that didn't involve any burning tires or anyone having exactly. rocks thrown at them. Um, and that uh, the minister really, I think, and the MEC, at least, the, especially the MEC, had a really bad look here by not showing yeah. up because, um, you know, it's it's easy to say, oh, I didn't show up because we're throwing rocks and burning tires. But yeah. When people don't do that, and then it's still ignored by government, that's uh, mm. a very bad look for the for the MEC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's move on to our last story, and this is about another fire in Joburg CBD. Now, thankfully, this fire wasn't nearly as bad as the one we had last year, where over seventy people died. In this fire, only two people died, um, which obviously is awful but but not nearly as terrible and 160 people were basically left homeless and this was another one of these dilapidated buildings in the center of johannesburg and the interesting part of the story to me is how there was a problem with um who in fact owns this building in a sense this building had fallen through the cracks of property rights and had become a structure that no one really owned it was sort of i guess owned sort of by the people who lived in it. There had apparently been an eviction order um, issued for that building in last year. However, no one was able to prove that they owned the building. And as a result, the eviction order was never enforced. Now, this particular fire started because um, apparently there was a lover's quarrel and the uh, uh, upset woman decided to set fire to something in her boyfriend's apartment, which then spread out of control. She's been arrested um, now for starting that fire. But it does strike me, and uh, this is only one of 180 buildings that have been hijacked at some point that the city of Johannesburg is looking into. But it does strike me, Michael, that if there had been robust property rights, if there had been someone very directly connected to the ownership of this building who exercised actual control over it, that firstly they would have an incentive to make sure that it wasn't a huge tinderbox ready to go up and burn to the ground due to uh, an apartment fire. And and um, uh, second, that this you know might never have happened in the first place. I'm sure this building was was overloaded, like so many of these other buildings are, with with way too many people. Uh, what do you make of the story? 
Mm, I think that that is a very key point. And it's something that is often, I think, overlooked in the, the whole the South African debate about property rights. It, it tends to be projected as a, a, a subject or, or debate about the rights of, of the haves. But in fact, almost always, the, the absence of property rights or the erosion of property rights uh, it, it comes to be the, the greater burden on people who don't have a great deal um, and who could have something if there was some uh, attachment to or a right to a property which an institution protected. And I think this also brings home that the other element of, of property rights is that it, they're only meaningful so long as there is an institution or institutions who are willing to protect them. Um, and uh, uh, those hijacked buildings wouldn't have been allowed to be uh, taken over by anyone else if the original owners had really felt it was worth um, their uh, hanging on to them and, and had the, the backing of the police or the courts or the political institutions and so on. Um, the policy environment uh, and and this is really the very great risk that uh, the IRR keeps uh, referring to in in discussing the the, the, uh, the property rights regime that we are developing in this country where if you undermine those rights you're actually undermining the very fabric of cities the fabric of communities um, the the rule of law and all the rest of it and what you end up with is exactly this 188 uh, hijacked buildings in, you know, the powerhouse of, of Johannesburg and, that, and, and, and on the basis of that, the, the risk of these deadly fires is the second big one we've seen now. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Property rights is, is really the key theme here. Uh, a similar story about how property rights are not just for the haves. Um, I'm, I, I remember a few years ago I heard the story of an old woman who lived in, I think it was the newer areas of Soweto, the southern southern parts of Soweto, who was thrown out of her RDP house that she had gotten from the government um, by her own daughter, who had moved into it with, with her boyfriend at the time and had thrown her out. And because the government had not provided her with proper documentation, with proper property rights, with a title deed, all those sort of things that one needs to enforce uh, one's uh, right to ownership as well as just the police just generally not particularly caring too much she was now homeless yeah. uh, even though she had been given this house by the uh, by the uh, the government and even though she should have been the rightful owner she had not been given those protections of private property of property rights and as a result she was hurt now this was someone who was unemployed was living off of a pension really the poorest kind of person in society exactly. Mm. And yet they benefited from property rights and suffered from the lack of them. Yeah, so, yeah. As you said, it's a, it's a really important thing to, to keep in mind. Okay, yeah. that is all the time we have for today. I hope you found the show interesting. Uh, we had an enormous number of technical challenges in trying to record this particular episode, <laughs> which is why if I seem a little bit maddened in the eye, if you're watching on YouTube, it's because this is like, I think, the fifth time we've recorded this. But anyway, I hope that you found this video interesting. And we will be back tomorrow on The Daily French Show. That's a wrap.